Is Davey with us? Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Truth Truth to Faith podcast. I'm your host, Cliff Steven. Today, we have a special guest on, um, one of my friends from childhood, um, Michael Tebow. Welcome, Michael. How you doing today, brother? I'm doing good, brother. How about yourself? I'm doing good, you know, grinding, grinding. I know how it is. But, uh, so, yeah, we, I, I had Biggie on the other day. And I'm having people on who grew up in South Boston and went through some of the same struggles because I'm trying to show the audience that, you know, no matter how bad you think things are, that Jesus could fix anything, you know, and he could fix any situation. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy to have you on and I'm excited so do you want to tell the audience uh, a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, so as Cliff mentioned, we grew up in South Boston together. Uh, I think Cliff's a couple years younger than myself. But we actually grew up in the old colony housing project. Um, I like to, to mention that we were pretty much doomed right out of the gate. Um, I feel like there's an expression that really I can identify with, which is being misinformed by the misinformed, kind of like the expression of the blind leading the blind. Um, I felt like we just were kind of hopeless and directionless, and we were all just kind of, you know, looking toward each other to, you know, how to get through this thing called life, and none of us really had a clue how to do it. So, bro, you're so you're so spot on, like, and. When I tell people about how we grew up, it's kind of hard to explain because on one hand, like you said, it was the misguided, uh, misguided, the misguided, you know, and but yeah. on the other hand, like in Goodwill Hunting, if you mess with one of us, we I mean, you were in trouble because, you know, the guy beside you, it was almost like war, like we were we were living for each other, you know, and we yeah. would lay down in traffic for one another without as you know, a second thought. Yeah. Yeah. So, absolutely. yeah. But yeah, it was, I don't really, cause we didn't really know each other in like, well, we weren't really close, but we had a mutual friend, Scott Cathcott, who, you know, yeah. rest in peace has recently passed. And like I said, on the last episode, every day, sadly, we get calls that another friend has passed and, it's really hard sometimes, but, um, so yeah. So, um, so yeah, we really didn't know each other. Like we knew each other, but we weren't like real friendly. We even got on a few physical altercations, which pe normal people might be like, really? But every, it, it, where we grew up, everybody was fighting everybody, you know? Yeah. That's what we did. We loved each other and we fought each other, which is again, such polar opposites, you know? Yeah. So to actually, uh, it's, it's cool you talked about that because to clear that up, I remember specifically I was just getting ready to move to Florida and I was a mess at the time. I was an alcoholic. I was a heroin user and um, I had a ticket to Florida. And I remember your little cousin had a crush on me and she was talking to me and you thought that I was talking to her. But I always respected people's little brothers and little cousins and little sisters. I would never go there. I never went there. I never would. 
you know, even even now that she's a grown woman, to me, she'll always be a little cousin. All my friends whose sisters have grown up to me, they'll always be their little sister. And that's what I treat them like. And that's what I call them. I recently went to a funeral. Uh, Sean Lane's mother passed away. I ran into his his sisters and they were crushing on me real hard. And I'm like, you guys are my sisters. They're like, no, we're not. I'm like, yes, you are. They're like, no, we're not. I'm like, yes, you are. Like, I just can't shake it, you know? And um, I was, when you were talking about the the closeness of the brother, of, of the friendships growing up, it immediately reminded me of a scripture that says that there is a friend who is closer than a brother. And I have brothers and I'm not close with them, but I have friends who I share a brotherhood with and I can tell them anything and I can trust them with anything and they tell me everything and they trust me with everything. And, um, that's not something that, you know, I found much out there in the world. You know, the honesty that we share with each other, you know, there, there were things growing up that, um, that if it wasn't for the honesty amongst my friends, I wouldn't be able to share. And um, for one example, you know, there, there was a guy who had um, some people had shared that, that he had, you know, violated them and, and touched them inappropriately. And the same guy had done that to me, but I had been keeping it to myself. But it was through their honesty and their and their willingness to share that that I was able to, you know, speak about that myself, you know, and, and work through that and heal. So there's definitely some some courageous people that we grew up with who aren't afraid to speak their truth, you know. Well, it's it's crazy you say that because um, you know, someone had confided in confided in me the same thing that obviously I ain't going to say their names, but um, basically molested them when they were young and they were a small, but where we grew up, the young kids <laughs> hung out with the older kids. So this kid was yeah. so small and it's someone that everybody knows. And I, but you know, yeah. I, I was happy he confided in me in that because yeah. I can't even imagine the weight of that secret, you know, it, it actually, yeah. Satan loves stuff like that because when you covet it and hide it, he, he just gets in your brain, you know, and he's putting all this trash in your mind. And, you know, when, when you speak about it and you bring it into the light, you know, it's gone, you know, God's great yeah. like that, you know? Yeah. So, um, so, so you asked me to tell you a little bit about myself and, uh, so I'll start by saying that, you know, growing up, I hung out with everybody in the project. I wasn't really committed to just one click like Darius Court or Posutsky Way or Bank Court or Patterson Way. Like I hung out with everybody, you know, on any given day. I just jumped from click to click. And um, I was really well known through a lot of the clicks, but I was never like truly part of any of the clicks because I bounced around so much. Um, I was kind of like an introvert and an extrovert at the same time. Um, I didn't really have any identity. You know, I kind of sought my friends to, you know, to steal their identity because I had really no direction in life. I grew up fatherless, you know, single mother on welfare with an older sister who got pregnant while she was long, young and left the house. So I didn't really have any, any guidance or anybody to look toward to, you know, teach me how to live. But um, so I really just kind of clung on to, you know, all the guys around me, both young and old. And um, so I feel like I was like the prime definition of a follower. 
You know, I had no thought for myself, no goals for myself. And um, I remember one day, a couple of us were going to, um, we're talking about committing, breaking some, committing some crime. And I remember vividly, I don't remember who, but I remember vividly, there was a group of us and they were like, oh, you know, I'm just going to make up names. They were like, oh, John, do you, are you down to do this crime? And then they're like, oh, Bob, are you down to do this crime? And then they both looked at me, disregarded me and said, oh, Mike, we know you're down. And to me, that really explains me to a T, you know, it was like everybody had me pegged for what I was, which was a true follower, you know, and but I feel like, you know, what the devil meant for harm, God has used for good. And I believe that was once my worst asset has now become my greatest asset. And that's my ability to follow follow the good people in the program of AA, follow the mentors in the church, and most of all, to follow my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen, brother. And it's, you know, hearing you say that, I, I can relate to that so much because when I was younger, like, as I got older, I became more vicious, but in reality, that's not who I was. Like, I showed yeah. my emotions. I was loving. I was caring. I felt like the environment made me, because I got tortured as a kid. You know, I was chubby, poor. Like, I was poor in a poor neighborhood, like, at the bottom. Like, so, you know, I used to question, like, God, why why do I care? Why can't I just be tough and, like, not give a shit like everybody else? And then I, now that I got old and since I've been saved, I realized, like, he blessed me with a big heart in that that made me able to walk my own path. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So like something I thought it was a curse, but you know, I love how you said that, you know, that's how God is. He turns our weaknesses into strengths. Yeah. You know, and that's the, that's the glory of God. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite scriptures is God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise and the weak things in the world to confound the strong. And to me, what that says is that no amount of reading, no amount of weightlifting, you know, can get you to achieve what God can achieve for you. And while someone may be, they may have the same aspirations and they may be working hard for it. You know, they may be studying, they may be working out. And then all of a sudden somebody finds God and then they're wiser than this person who studies all the time. And then they're stronger than this person who lifts all the time. And it just confuses them. But it also glorifies God. And it says, OK, like I haven't got the results that this person's got in that short period of time. How did they do it? And then when we tell them it was God, you know, they start to catch on. And, and that's the beauty of how God works, you know, because, you know, God performs miracles. And when people see a real life walking miracle in front of them, you know, there's only so much time before they can no longer dismiss it as anything but God related, you know? Amen, brother. And like you, you've come so far, bro. You know, we both have in seeing your journey. How long have you been sober now? So I got out of jail in um, 2000, February 9th of 2017. So I was away for a couple of years, but I actually started my sobriety date that day. That was a personal choice. Um, I don't hold it against anybody who counts their, their sobriety while they're in jail. But for me, I had an experience when I got out of jail and I went up, I got a one-year medallion with a gentleman 
from Brockton who had got his one year medallion. And when I went home that night, I, I concocted a story in my head that I imagined that this gentleman lived in Brockton on the mean streets and had to walk past the liquor store every day, had to walk past the drug pushers on the corners. And me, I was just in jail. And I know that drugs were available to me and I did have opportunity, but I just didn't feel like, you know, my environment was as unsafe as his. So someone shared with me, I, I expressed my concern to someone and they said, well, the coin says to thy own self be true. So I ran off of that. And the next day I went and turned in that one year medallion for a um, 24 hour chip. So on the day that I got released from jail is when I started my sobriety. So I have over six years now. Nice. Yeah. And you, you've changed your life so much, man. And you know, correct. Correction. God, God has changed God, my life so much. God that's why we're here. No. Yeah. That's yeah, why absolutely. we're here. All glory yeah. to God. One for sure. But you, so you, you lived in Boston, you were getting in trouble. Then you moved to Florida, correct? That's right. That was that plane ticket that I had in my pocket. Yeah. So now here's some real truth. This is truth that I didn't find through the coverage of my friends talking about their molestations. This was only truth that I could find through God and through the 12 steps of AA when I was cleaning house and, and making an amends list. And that truth was right before I left, when I had that ticket to Florida in my pocket, I was getting high. I was snorting heroin. And I started to um, to ask my friends on on how I could shoot heroin. And um, and I had some good friends that weren't helping me with that process. But I knew it was inevitable that that was the trajectory my life was going, that I was going to be shooting heroin really soon. And um, when I had that plane ticket in my pocket, uh, a couple of our, our friends and I had got into a stolen car. It had the keys in and out in front of Keneally's. And we went in for a joyride. And we ended up getting pulled over in Malden. And I had lived in Malden at a foster home before. And um, the cops had known me. And they had actually pulled me out of my cell and got me to talk and uh, or asked me to talk. And, um, you know, the sad truth is, is that that ticket really weighed me down. I felt like it was my way to freedom. And I did something that I normally wouldn't do. And it wasn't because I was afraid of going to jail because I was institutionalized. It was it defined me. I, my identity, I found most in jail. I actually felt like, you know, more a part of there and, and I didn't get picked on. And I was kind of like a, a senior juvenile delinquent and. Like there was always something there waiting for me, a good accommodation. But um, that ticket just like really weighed heavy on me. And I ended up rolling on two of my friends. And I was 17 years old at the time. And I held on to that for 18 years. And it wasn't until I was 30 something years old that I went through the steps and, and I disclosed that process. And, um, you know, it was to the to my higher power and the 12 steps of AA that I was able to, you know, put these people on my amends list and reach out to them and make amends. And one of those people is uh, Lou Fortier, who, you know, and um, the beautiful thing about that now is that, you know, Lou has forgiven me and accepted me and we were once best friends and now we're best friends again. And as God would have it right now, I'm the only friend in his world. He's locked up in a mental institution for for homicide. And we talk every day, multiple times a day. And he actually got transferred uh, last week into a new facility, a step down. And I'm actually driving to Vermont tomorrow to go visit him. 
And, um, and, and that was the only courage that I could have that I could find with, through God, you know, to share my truth. And uh, it was something that really held me back. I was full of guilt, full of shame, full of remorse. But you know what? You know, I'm, I'm going to spit my truth because that's my truth. That's my story. And, you know, and I hope that kind of truth just really glorifies God because it's obvious that when I share something like that, I do it for the glory of God because it's obviously not for the glory of man because that's something that we definitely despise on, you know, growing up in the world, especially growing up in our neighborhood, you know, but it just it just demonstrates for me, you know, God's power that, you know, that we can speak about our truths and not worry about what man thinks and, and that we can have be healed in the process no and that god has and especially i'm sorry that you know god has completely restored that relationship with him and i you know that's beautiful that's no and that is powerful like that you were able to admit that you know in our neighborhood that was like one of the Mm. top things like no no. we couldn't do and you know I don't know. Now that I'm older, like, I remember having a conversation with somebody about, like, well, what if you were with somebody and they stabbed someone to death and you were going to go to jail because you were spotted, but they're not? I'm ratting. So- yeah. I'm sorry. I'm not doing a life bid for a crime you did. If I, you know, yeah. if, if I stabbed it, I would eat it. But, you know what I mean? So it is what it is, you know. But, I understand how, like you said, that is all glory to God. Like, that is something hard to admit. And, you know, the truth is everybody's probably done it once, you know, at one time or another, if everyone's honest. It's the elephant in the room. Yeah, it's the (laughs) elephant in the room. Yeah. If you live this life long enough, if you've lived this life long enough, you know, a lot of people definitely have. And, you know, they're no lesser a person. You know, but it's just my hope that, you know, me sharing my experience and my truth that other people could open up. And um, I'm very involved in AA as well as the Bible and the church. And there's a passage in AA Big Book that says no matter how far down the scale we have gone, we see how our experience can benefit others. And it's because of that hard truth that I just shared that other people have been able to share the similar the same hard truth with me. And I'm sure that might have well been something that they very well never would have shared or ever did share had I not shared my truth. Amen, brother. And it's like when, um, like we're growing up where we did and, and just anywhere in the world, evil is so like contagious. It's so simple to just go with evil, but it's also that way with God's glory. Like, like you said here and you speak your truth. That is such that outweighs the the darkness times yeah. ten. Like it moves people. God's power is so beautiful and strong. Like you know, one person hears that who's covering covering in a secret, and then boom, God gives them that power to go. You know what? He's being honest. I can be honest. I could let it go and talk about it, and it really does just show you know how how powerful God is and how glory you know all glory to God. So when you came back to Florida, that's when you got saved? No, no, I didn't. I didn't get saved until that that last uh, time in jail around 2015, 2016 is when I really cried out to God. 
So, and was so that I was in Florida. No, that was here on Martha's Vineyard in Massachusetts. Oh, okay. Yep. So you were back. All right. Yep. So I'll give a quick synopsis of the Florida trip, um, which was a decade long. Um, so I moved to Florida when I was 18, shortly after you and I had our little scuffle. And I'm glad now that I was able to, you know, fill you in on a little background of that. Um, then, so I ended up, you know, rolling on a couple of our friends and I was able to make my flight, you know, cause I got out and, you know, so I was immediately, you know, another, I had a whole decade or more to deal with, you know, not deal with really my shame, guilt and remorse. And I ended up moving to Florida with my sister's ex-husband, Chuck Collins. And um, so I went to go live with him. I had never really worked much in my life. You know, I had a little couple odd jobs here and there, but no real work ethic. But here I was, a heroin addict who had thrown myself in the middle of nowhere without a, a job, without a know-how. And there was no food in the house. And I was getting desperate for food and I would have to go out and look for work. And while I was walking what seemed like endless roads, I stumbled across a roofing company and I didn't know nothing about roofing. And I especially didn't know how treacherous it would be to be roofing in the Florida heat. But I did get that job and it was low pay and it was hard work. But I was able to learn very on the, the quality of hard work, you know, and um, so I started working. But like I did, always did, as soon as I started making money. I had that mentality that, oh, well, if I bought some drugs and sold them, then I can double my money and I'd have more. And then I take what I doubled and double that and I have more. So I always had this mentality that whatever little bit of money I had, I needed to invest it. So that was what I did. So I started and I started drinking heavily because um, heroin wasn't really available. I didn't come across it. I started smoking weed again more and drinking more and then. Um, there was a, a, a lot of cocaine. So I started snorting coke a lot. And then I was selling and then I was working and I kind of had, you know, pre a pretty um, what seemed responsible life anyway, or manageable. I was able to manage partying, you know, like in our early days when, you know, partying wasn't so bad. It was actually fun. Um, I discovered my first strip clubs and started going to nightclubs. Prior to that, it was just, you know, drinking and, and getting high on the stoop in the projects. You know, it wasn't really much to it. And um, then I started having relationships. And then the Percocet epidemic hit Florida. And everybody knows that Florida had the biggest problem in the nation. And um, Percocets were readily available. So there I was back from, from where I started, an opiate addict. So I struggled with, um, you know, cocaine addiction and opiate addiction for many years in Florida. And then um, what I like to say now is that eventually I had got engaged and I had pushed my fiance into the arms of another man because I became somebody that she couldn't rely on, somebody who was weak and somebody that was just really suffering and blinded by his addiction. And um, so after my fiance had left me, I had gotten into a car accident and I was um, pretty mangled. And my mom came down to take care of me. And when she was there, I realized it had been over a decade since I had been with my family. And I decided that it was time to come home. So I came home with my Percocet addiction in tow 
And then I came here and then when all my pills were gone, I was not able to continue to go back and forth to get my script. So I started getting bags of heroin on the street. But by this time, someone was like, listen, I'm not going to keep doing. Oh, oh, at this time, I started shooting up. So I pretty much picked up where I left off, what I was trying to avoid in the beginning, the reason why I left. And then um, then I started hustling that. And then I started doing that. And it wasn't long before I couldn't handle it. And I tried a geographical cure again. And I moved to Martha's Vineyard. And when I went there, heroin didn't seem available. So I started drinking a lot. And the more I drank, the more violent I became until one night in an act of, you know, um, drunkenness and I was high on Xanax. I got violent with the girl that I was dating, which led me to be put in jail. And while I was sitting in jail was when I cried out to God and God heard my cry and honored it. Glory be to God, man. That's well, that's yeah, because I remember you know, I remember you leaving and then I hadn't heard nothing for a while. And then I remember like uh, someone told me Scott moved down to Florida with you. Yeah. But I, I really didn't hear much of you coming back because I think at that time I was in the same, you know, living that same life full of addiction, you know, couch surfing, you know, not being able to find any purpose in life. I, I really didn't care about life. I was kind of just waiting to die and, and then I, you know, f met my ex-wife and I was able to get clean for five years, get on the MBTA and uh, get married, have a baby. And uh, then basically COVID hit and I was I was it had two field engagements and I was stressed out fighting with everybody at work. And I went back to my old ways. and I relapsed after like five years oh. of sobriety. And I lost it all, lost my, you know, my new truck, the job. But luckily, God made a path for me where I was able to keep my house. And it's funny because when you see God working in your life, it's the most, you know, you just feel so happy that because you know he loves you, you know. And I didn't really know what love was before having my daughter Nobody ever showed me love. I didn't, you know, my friends did. So I didn't know what love is, but <clears throat> so it was, you know, I didn't get mad at God when all that happened because I knew he, I got away with so much stuff within six months and eventually God had to love me the way you're supposed to love a child. Sometimes they need tough love and, you know, I lost it all. But what I found was true faith. Like I always had God, but, um, I'd only go to him when I needed help. Like I shot Johnny in the eye. He, he was almost blind. Please, God, don't let him be blind. Or I caught a yeah. stupid case. Don't let me go to jail. And every time I went away, there was somebody beside me on the next bunk reading the Bible every single time. Uh -huh. And I know that was God. Like, come this way. Stop going that path. And I, I didn't listen until, you know, three years ago when this happened. But now... I have peace. I truly am happy. So that's why I want to ask you, like, would you like to tell the audience, like, you know, you explained your past and the struggles and you were very open and honest about some of the stuff that, you know, you weren't, you were ashamed of. And I appreciate that. Will you tell the audience basically 
now how like how you are now now that you have God's given you grace and has saved you? Oh yeah, I, I would be happy to. Um, I think that's the most important part of my story, you know. Um, so as I mentioned, I, I wound up in jail for a domestic violence case, and um, you know, and that was another thing that I was really guilty and, and full of guilt and shame of because we grew up in an environment where you know, that was frowned upon. And I actually grew up across from, from the bar room, the Irish Whisper. And um, I remember when guys would be outside the bar fighting with their girlfriends, I would jump out of my window and go interject, even though I was just a little kid and I really couldn't do anything. My heart was right. I knew that it was wrong, you know, to put your hands on a woman. Not to mention, I mean, definitely to mention the fact that I had an older sister and a, a, my mother, you know, so women were very close to me and I felt very strongly for them. So I was very confused how I had broken my moral compass and had done the very thing that I despised and become the very person that I despised, a woman abuser. And that was when I cried out to God because that was unacceptable to me. You know, like drug addiction, I harmed myself over and over and over. But now I had other un unintended victims and I couldn't accept that. So I cried out to God. And um, and and as in regards to the drugs and the alcohol, I asked, I simply said a simple prayer. I said, God, please remove from me the desire to pick up a drink, a drug and a cigarette. And I prayed that prayer every day. And I've never had the desire to pick up a drink, a drug or a cigarette since I've prayed that prayer. And I started praying that prayer seven, eight years ago, you know, and um, God is, you know, all loving, all merciful and all powerful. And he honored my prayer, you know, and, and I'm, I'm very appreciative for that. I'm grateful. Um, and I believe that, you know, gratitude is, is not just a word, but it's an action, you know, that we demonstrate attitude, gratitude by the way that we choose to live from from that day forward, from the day that we decide that we're grateful, you know, so with my gratitude, you know, it's my life's my life's work now to just lift up God's name everywhere I go and everything I do. Um, so while I was in there, I had um, God put it on my heart to start a business because even before I found God, I had a bad spirit about the people that I was working for, about the big business practices that they were demonstrating, about the cutting of the corners and the price gouging and just the, the dishonest practices. It was really hard for me to deal with. So I prayed another prayer and I said, God, and I prayed this prayer, like talking to somebody, like talking to a friend. I said, God, I don't know much about anything. But word on the street is, you know, everything. And I'm going to put my faith in you and my trust in you. And I'm going to open a business and I'm going to do it in honor of you. And I decided God put it on my heart that the, the, the basis of the business was was giving back because I had taken it from life. I had taken from people I had taken from the world and it was time to give it back. Gratitude in action. So I didn't know what I was going to do or how I was going to do it. Uh, I knew God was going to do it. I didn't know how he was going to do it, but I know he, he could do it. And I just, I set out. And we all have fear when we're starting a business like, oh, my God, do I quit my job? When do I quit? When do I just go off on my own? Do I have to have so much work lined up? How does this work? 
It was just a faith walk. It was God lined up people in my life through that process. Well, through that transitioning process before I could go full time. I had a gentleman who I worked for. He's a really good friend, but he's he, he's got a um he's known as being really hard headed and, and really verbally abusive to people. And I love him. God bless him. And the way that he talks to people at work, it's kind of hard to deal with. But, you know, through God's favor. Um, actually, let me backtrack. So one day he was like, Mike, I don't know what it is about you. You just come to work, go, go home, whatever it is you please. He's like, I don't know what it is, you know, and he doesn't talk to people like that. Other people, he just tells them what to do. But to me, he didn't understand because he was outside of himself. He wasn't acting in his character. And then I realized something that I had just learned the night before from a fellow Christian. She had educated me about the Lord's favor. So I educated him in that very moment. And I said, Mike, it's the Lord's favor and I have it. And I got to see the very next day after I heard about the favor of the Lord, I got to see it demonstrated in my life because this was a man who ran the show and he didn't understand why he wasn't running the show between me and his relationship and our work relationship. And I knew right then and there it was because God was running show and I was in a transitioning period and he was to stay out of our way because he was just giving me work to, 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 so I can make it through this process of going off on my own. Meanwhile, I had another guy who I started working for who actually, when I started my business, he actually found me through a business card posted in a, um, a cafe. And he called me up and he, he asked if I would come work with him. And I thought it was kind of odd because you know, I'm self-employed, right? Like, why do you think I want a job? But the beautiful thing was I told him, I said, listen, I'm starting my own business and I'm going to have to be able to go when I need to go. And he says, you can come in late. You can leave early. You cannot come in at all. And I just could feel God's loving arms just wrapped all around me. And he was just making that transitioning process as seamless and painless as it can possibly be. And um, there's a scripture in the Bible. It says that he who was faithful with little, uh, he who was faithful with little will be trusted with much. And I was faithful to that man's business. I pretty much ran the whole business. And while well, he stepped aside and just made the money. And I did that for over a year. And then God blessed me to where I had enough work on my own to completely disconnect and actually started hiring people almost immediately. And, um, you know, and again, it's just, you know, it's not by by works, you know. So there's a there's a passage in the big book that also derives from the Bible. Faith without works is dead. And um, what I feel like and, and there's people talk about God's grace, God's grace, God's grace. And there's a. There's a passage in the Bible that says we are saved by grace through faith and not of works. It is a gift of God, not of yourself, lest any man should boast. And to me, you know, like I had a lot of faith, but I think it's important to know where did that faith derive from? That faith derived from my reading my Bible. You know, the Bible says that, you know, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, you know, and when I was in that deep, dark place, when I was in the jail, when I was really questioning the person who I had became, I just really dove into the Bible and absorbed it. And I didn't like study it like like studiously every day. 
but God was able to like use me to recite scriptures. And then I like almost like look up at God. I'm like, how did I know that? You know, <laughs> and and it's just the beauty, like the way that God can use me because like, and I just, you know, there's another passage in the Bible. It says, here I am, Lord, send me, you know, and sometimes I used to just say, Lord, here I am, send me, you know, I don't know where he's sending me. I don't know what he's sending me for. You know, but again, it's it's just that gratitude and action. You know, it's just that that love. You know, there's a passage in the Bible. It says, um, if a man say that he have God, but he have not love, then he have not God because God is love. You mm -hmm. know, and I think that if we demonstrate love, we don't have to talk about God because they know they see God in us. You know, we don't have to broadcast it, you know, but I still wear my cross just because there might be someone across the room, you know, there might be an interaction. Maybe I didn't get to have words with somebody, but they saw my cross and then it started up a conversation. I thought long and hard about my cross. You know, I actually, one night I was reading my Bible and it says not to have any false images of God. And I left my cross outside the house. I took it off my neck and I put it outside and it sat out there for a couple of days. And I was like, no, but maybe if I wear it, Someone who I might not have had an interaction with, I might have an interaction with. And oftentimes it's another Christian. Hey, I like your cross. Yeah. And had they not seen that cross, I might not have met that person. But once I have words with that person, I start to engage and I shake their hand and I ask their name and I ask their number, you know. But had I not won that cross, they might have been just another passerby on the street, you know. I, I can relate to that because I was having the same thing. I was reading the Bible a couple weeks ago and I was like, are you mad that I have this cross? Should I? But same thing happens to me all the time. So a Christian will say, hey, I love your cross. And I'm like, oh, you Christian? And boom, we're having a conversation. It happens all the time. Yeah. Amen. But I just want to say, um, you know, that's a beautiful story. You know, how God's worked in your life. And when I first you were the first name that popped in my mind when I came up with the idea to start this podcast because I, I know how I, I've seen how much God's worked in your life and I felt like people need to hear the story. And I can relate to like what you're saying about with the business. Like I wanted to do this podcast to give back because I feel like I was saved and I was gracious enough to get to all my stuff and get to a place where I could be happy. And I just want to, lead breadcrumbs to hopefully lead people to Christ also. But so much fear when I, I was like, I, dude, I, I didn't have a computer. I've never used a computer. <laughs> you know what I mean? I have no computer skills. And the fear was just overwhelming. And one day I went on someone else's podcast and God's like, you need to do it. Like, just do it. So I was like, all right, I'm going to give it a try. And, it's it's how work, you know. I work, you know, forty to fifty hours washing dishes at night, but I've got so much um, passion from this. Like mm -hmm. I love doing God's work and meeting people and trying to help. Like one day I hope to just be able to do that, you know. If God sees fit to bless me with that, so be it. If not, that's yeah. fine also. But so yeah, I could just, I really can relate to that, and I see how like how God had led you. He's also doing the same to me because I'm like, what topics am I going to cover? Who am I going to have on? And it just mm -hmm. keeps laying out like 
I have a friend on yesterday. You're on today. Another friend's coming on tomorrow, all in recovery. And then my old boss, who's a sobriety coach, he calls me. He's like, oh, you got a podcast? You want me to come on? So I'm going to have you three guys on. Then a um, sobriety um, instructor, AA guy. And so it's, you know what I mean? I see God doing it. A farmer reached out. Hey, I want to talk about regenerative farming. And I'm like, He's in Texas. I'm like, all right, cool. But I see God <laughs> working, and it's like, it's just, it, I've been so happy because I have purpose today. You know, you know, I, I get purpose from God too. But it's nice to have a, a project that I enjoy. You know, and I'm so yeah. grateful to God that He's given me this, and He's given me the strength to walk through that fear, and that He's making it easy by laying it out. You know, so I can relate to your story a lot, and. You're truly an inspiration, brother, and all glory to God. And I really appreciate you coming on. Like I said, you were the, you were the first name in my mind. I'm going to see if Michael Tebow will do it, you know, and you were so <laughs> gracious. And you're like, yeah, I got you. Don't worry. You know, of so course. I appreciate you, brother. Yeah, uh, there's no greater purpose, you know. It's it's my life's work, to my life's mission to, you know, serve the Lord. You know, this this handyman thing. It, it's amazing because, you know, when we think of a handyman, we, we kind of think of just like a an old beaten up dented truck, you know, guy smoking cigarettes, drinking beer. And um, and that's kind of what I started off with without the cigarettes and the beer was just an old dented truck. And when I first time I hired somebody, I was kind of like, oh, my God, how am I going to be able to, like, provide for this person? They're now going to be depending on me every week to pay their bills. And then all you, then before you know it, I was hiring seven, eight people. And then what I realized that God was taking this thing so that it would be established and I can step away from ministry, you know, because we, we need money, you know, we need to survive. So it was like he was establishing my business so that I could step away from the business and focus on him and still mm -hmm. have income generating. And I was like, oh my God, like I didn't see that coming, you know? And then it reminds yeah. me of the scripture, you know, that God's ways are higher than our ways and God's thoughts and higher than our thoughts, you know? And the plans that he has for me are greater than the plans that I have for myself. And I wanna mm -hmm. end with one thing that I used to say when I first came to AA, and I think you might be able to identify with it. I used to tell people that I didn't dare to dream because where I was, where I came from, dreams never came true. No. Everybody just, everybody just stayed where they were, went to prison or died, you know. So it didn't really seem like much sense to waste my time and my energy and and false hope on dreaming. But what I say now is that I can't possibly dream big enough mm. because the plans that I have myself are way smaller than the plans that God has for my life. Amen, brother. And and um, I'm sure JC looks down on you. You know, you're basically doing what he did. So I'm sure you get a little extra love for that because he, he can relate, you know. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to we'll leave it with this and then we'll call it a day. Uh, I want to just read Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Yeah. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yeah. It, it, it hits me so hard because 
our burdens were so tough, you know, and have to be tough all the time and be strong. And, you know, that's what we had to be. We had to be, you have to be strong. You don't show, blah, blah, blah. Oh, and no. it's exhausting. It was exhausting. Oh. And now that I follow Jesus, his yoke is easy. I don't have to worry. I don't have to stress. I know he has me, you know, and yeah, that's the beauty. Absolutely. It's like when we were growing up in the projects, there was always that tough kid, you know, whether he'd be an older brother or an older friend, that if someone was picking on you, you knew you could go to him and that everything was going to be okay. You just yeah. already, you always had the guy there, but you, you, you're fighting them in the schoolyard. They're like, I'm going to get my older brother. And they had that utmost assurance and confidence that their older brother was going to kick your butt and that you were going to be afraid, you know, and it's the same with our Lord. You know, the Lord is our strength, you know, strength, you know, strength doesn't come from man. It comes from him, you know, and the whole AA thing, admitting we are powerless. God recently revealed to me, you know, in, in that, you know, our problem wasn't alcohol. Our problem wasn't drugs. Our problem was power. In the big book, it says lack of power was our dilemma. And we had to find a power greater than ourselves. And that power is God who has all power. And when we're, we're connected with him, we have all power because mm -hmm. he's with us. We have access to him. We have that ever that endless fountain of power available to us at all times. You know, absolutely, brother. I really appreciate you coming on. Everybody, thanks for listening. Um, if you want to leave comments below, you know, and talk to Michael and give him thanks. Or you just want to say something nice, that would be uh, welcomed. So thanks for coming, Mike. I really appreciate you, brother. Thanks for listening. I appreciate to you too, brother. I love thanks. you.